Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 13th. It is going to be a two mini break Wednesday here on this feed. Allow me to explain why. We've got the Masters 1000 ATP action currently unfolding in Monte Carlo and at 2.05 p.m. here on Wednesday. Still a bit too early in the day for me to record that recap on all of today's action, of course. There are plenty of results that we will want to discuss. Certainly, Sebastian Corda's three-set victory over Miami Open champion Carlos Alcaraz, something I will be touching on later today. Of course, there were plenty of other results. Is David Goffin back? Is this Hubie Hurkacz early success on the clay courts real? What do we think of Yannick Sinner? Looked a lot healthier in a straight set victory today over Emil Roussevori. I want to break all of that down, but to be truthful with you listeners, I just haven't quite had the chance yet to watch enough of the replays, enough of the matches that I feel comfortable talking about all of the action that has unfolded. There are also still a few matches on court left to conclude. As such, we're going to wait until a little bit later in the day to touch on all the action in Monte Carlo. That said, there is always so much fantastic tennis happening across levels across the globe. I want to talk about one of the biggest stretches of tennis we see here on the American Junior Circuit that happened over the past couple of weeks in California. You had the ITF Grade 1 in San Diego, followed by the 2022 Easter Bowl. Fantastic tennis on display. So many of the top American juniors in the world all competing for those two titles. And obviously, there was a tremendously high quality of tennis being played at those two events. We want to discuss them to keep all of you informed on who you should be watching for, not only as rising stars at the collegiate level, perhaps in the future at the pro level as well. And if you are going to talk about anything that has happened in the junior tennis world, there is only one guest you can turn to to help have you join and do that on this show. That's the guest we have here joining us for this discussion. Of course, she is a returning champion to this podcast, founder of the Zoo Tennis Blog, the inspiration behind these shows. Perhaps my favorite guest we have appear on our Cracked Rackets podcast. It's the GOAT, Colette Lewis, who's going to join me on today's episode to discuss all of the action that I'm folded on both the boys and girls side in the Easter Bowl and at that grade one ITF event in San Diego. We talk about the performances of 18's champions Alexis Blokina and Alex Mickelson, but even beyond that, we discuss the current depth in American junior tennis, especially on the guys' side. It feels like as we approach Kalamazoo, the boys' 18s junior championship, the winner of that event in August, getting a wild card into the main draw of the U.S. Open. Last year, we knew it was going to be Zach Svida. It was going to be Ben Shelton. This year, there are 25 players who have all put together resumes worthy of earning that U.S. Open wild card. And so the race to be the Kalamazoo champion is going to be intense. It is going to be exciting. It is certain to produce some fantastic tennis. Of course, on the women's side, right, we've seen so many generations of successful junior players over these past couple of years on the American side. You go all the way back to the CC Bella, Sonia Kennan years, certainly uh, all the way through to what we've seen Coco Goff do, Katie McNally do, and Lee do of late on the WTA Tour. That said, there's another generation of talented American juniors in the pipelines. And, you know, again, I wanted to talk to Colette about those juniors, not only the ones who ended up in the winner's circle, but of course, those players who could make semifinals, quarterfinals in back-to-back weeks in San Diego and at the Easter Bowl. That's an awfully impressive stretch. And so we get into all of those results here on today's show. Now, unfortunately, I do have to say, before we get to our conversation with Colette, we had some audio difficulties about the last 15 minutes of this podcast, just 
quite frankly, unusable as such. We had to cut them. Now, what you would have heard in those 15 minutes is A, me ask Colette, who are your favorites to capture the 2022 NCAA Men's and Women's Championships? She did not actually offer me an answer to that question. Still a lot to be learned, but she says she's very much looking forward to the season's home stretch, and she is hoping to be in Champaign this year, which is something I think all of us tennis fans can get excited about because as proud as I am of our cracked rackets coverage here, I think her college tennis coverage respectfully second to none. So that was an awesome announcement. You would have heard me say thank you to her as it is officially here on Wednesday, the five-year anniversary of her posting on the Zoo Tennis blog that the University of Michigan, led by a senior named Alex Gruskin, captured the 2017 Tennis on Campus National Championships. We joked about that a little bit at the end. We also discussed, you know, more broadly where these two classes of American juniors compare to some of their contemporaries, right? You look at the Tiafo, Kozlov, Fritz generation of American juniors that recently emerged, and even all the way through the Brooksby's, the Cordas, the Zane Khans of the world, J.J. Wolf eras, how does this group as a whole compare to those you know, in Colette's mind, she says extraordinarily favorably. She says there's a depth to this class that we haven't seen in quite a bit of time. I couldn't agree with her more. We also talked about how many of these Southern California kids are ultimately leaving Southern California, going to places like Georgia, like, you know, again, Texas, just places that aren't USC and UCLA and, you know, the impact of that on the college tennis world. And, you know, again, I do think we hit on all of those topics narrative-wise throughout the course of these first 45 minutes, but I did want to inform you. Unfortunately, unable to have those last 15, so if this podcast ends abruptly, that's the reason why. Of course, lastly, certainly not least, shout out to all of you who keep listening day in, day out. It makes these podcasts possible, and shout out, of course, to our friends at Tennis Point for all they do to support this show, and you all know the deal. Go to tennis-point.com today to find the latest equipment at the greatest prices. Of course, you use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. It's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, it's time for the GOAT, folks. Let's get to my conversation with the one and only Colette Lewis. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a guest that needs no introduction, the greatest of all time, radiant after her trip in California and here to update us on all of the latest happenings in the junior world. It is our friend, the inspiration for this show, Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Oh, it is always great to have you. And we have so many different things for us to discuss here today. And I know we were talking about it a bit before the show started, but first Easter Bowl back on the grounds at Indian Wells since 2019. Let's just start there. More broadly, I know there are vaccination requirements, testing requirements. Is the junior tour back to some facsimile of normalcy now? You know, it's been two and a half years. Are things relatively stabilized? I think they are. I think even uh, San Diego, which was the week before, just for the older kids, uh, was completely normal. There were there were no restrictions whatsoever. Indian Wells is, you know, given I guess the county that it's in has has been a little bit tougher, but um, parents could come. Um, anybody who was vaccinated could get on the grounds to watch. Um, it did keep uh, attendance down a little bit. Um, overall, but um, I, I do think that for all intents and purposes, it was pretty much back to normal. On more this people point. go to the Easter Bowl final or to Indian Wells third round? <laughs> I don't know, since I've never been to Indian Wells. I've, I've been to, you know, to the BNP, but I I have seen a lot of finals and, and there usually is a is a very good crowd. So this year it was definitely down um, just, you know, I think for that reason, more than anything. 
I remember the Taylor Fritz crowds when he won the Easter Bowl. Oh, that yeah. Year. That crowd was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And and Cordig had a lot, too, yes. when, when he was in the final because of the name of his sisters, of everything that was going on there. So, yeah, there's definitely sometimes when um, you're going to have a local angle or whatever it is that that's going to make it even bigger. But in general, it's it's well attended for a junior tournament. And, and I just say that knowing that very few junior tournaments are going to draw um, many fans at all. True or false, the pandemic robbed you of the 12 months of Carlos Alcaraz you would have otherwise enjoyed? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think he, I mean, when he came in, when I saw him at Wimbledon in 2019, where he lost to Martin Dom, I think um, he was already a, an item on the Challenger Tour. I just don't think he would have been in juniors. Um I, I you could say maybe the French he may have played the French, but he didn't. I mean, by that time, it was just it was just he was just too much of a, a rocket to the, you know, the top 10. There was some video floating around from him at Le Petit as at uh, when he was, you know, 13, 14 years old. And you're just like, that's the same kid. I was like, <laughs> I see no differences except for maybe the arms are like a little skinnier, but he's still, you know, jacked for a 14 year old level of athlete. And you're just like, this kid has always been destined for greatness. But of course, that's a, a, such the fun of the California junior swing as you get to see so many of the top juniors in the country, some in the world all descend upon one location. This is one of my, you know, I always get to ask one question, try to get Colette in trouble. Carson or San Diego? You know, which one are you picking as a site? If you get to pick one as your Easter Bowl warm up. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that for anybody, San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so envious and I'm so sad they lost the ATP event because that was a really fun uh, expedition for them last season. And right. unfortunately, it sounds like it's not going to be back this year. Now, very cool that Austin now gets a WTA event starting next year. And we saw a Texas swing, you know, the Dallas Houston uh, back to back ATP events here uh, in the first few months of the season on the ATP side. I feel like all this does is just booster, uh, bolster Grant Chen's resume to get a big Power Five coaching job at some point, right? He's like, <laughs> I brought three events. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I I believe that the WTA is coming back to San Diego this year, so cool. I you know I w I would not count Ryan Redondo out in that. Uh, grudge match between he and Grant Chen is who, who can do the most for their facility. I, it's, it's neck and neck right now. And that's the best rivalry that no one's talking about, Colette. So I'm glad exactly. we got to do Yeah, I'm glad we got to do 30 <laughs> seconds on it here on this show. But of course, more broadly, the reason I wanted to have you on today is to offer your reflections from San Diego from the Easter Bowl. And, you know, let's start today's conversation with the Easter Bowl because obviously you look at the list of past champions for this event. Uh, it's a who's who on the men's and women's side. Just about everyone in American junior tennis in particular will play this event. And I mean, you'll get your wins where maybe you didn't go pro, but you can say, hey, in the 14s, I beat Francis Tiafo in this event when he was nine years old or whatever it may be. That's always the fun of the East World is one of the, you know, slam events on the American junior calendar per se. It was a very fun week of action, certainly. And you look at the results. I want to start on the women's side because obviously we've got some college tennis ties there and Perhaps some would like to make the parabola, uh, parable of, oh, look, another Stanford over UNC victory in a final. Now, I'm going to let them make those jokes. I'm not going to make those jokes. We're a pro everyone wins podcast here at Cracked Rackets. But uh, certainly when you look, and I want to start at the Easter Bowl in the girls' 18s because I know she wasn't uh, the top seed. But it did feel like going in 17-year-old Reese Brantmeyer was the pejorative favorite. Brantmeyer, and you can read Colette's fantastic recap of the event, sets the scene so well, talks through the final in particular uh, on tennisrecruiting.net. But, you know, Brantmeyer hadn't played a junior event in over a year because, simply put, she would kind of aged out. She was ready to play the ITS, ready to go get some pro uh, action under her belt before going to North Carolina last year yet. Again, speaks to the importance of the Easter Bowl. No one's skipping this event on the calendar. She comes to the Easter Bowl, and uh, to your point, she lost no more than four games in any set in her five victories on the way to the finals. 
Ultimately, though, she's knocked off. It's Alexis Blakina, and you can correct my pronunciation if I'm wrong there, who earns the victory, the number four seed, a 6-3-4-6-7-6 victory. Now, Blakina is committed to Sanford. Obviously, you're the number four seed at the Easter Bowl. You are a highly touted recruit. That said, let's start here. Feels like a bit of an upset. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think what Alexis had that Reese probably didn't have was a whole lot of good matches coming into that tournament because sure. uh, Reese had played the qualies and lost in first round at BNP. And then I believe she may have won a round in the Arcadia 60K and then lost. So she was coming in a little bit underplayed. And, and Lokina had had a really... Uh, good run making the semis in San Diego. I, I That could obviously cut both ways. I, I do think it's important. Yes, that w- was an upset, but um, Reese was probably the favorite just based on, on her past and, and the success she's had and that sort of thing. Of course, with Liv Havdi not there um, pulling out, I mean, she was there, she won the doubles, but she pulled out, I think more precautionary than anything else. She really didn't need, and we'll get to that when we talk about the boys champion, she didn't really need to set herself up for anything this summer. She, you know, she made the semis of the Australian Open. She's not going to have any sort of problems, you know, going forward with the ranking and, and entries. And I don't so, mean to interrupt you. She also won San Diego the week before. Right. Exactly. Um, so I I do think I mean, she would have been the overwhelming favorite, even given that she was playing her second week in a row. So um, it. It, then I think Reese did become the favorite uh, when when Liv dropped out. Uh, but Alexis um, is very, very tough. And she she knows she's not afraid to hit out when she's behind. She actually sometimes plays better when she's a little bit behind, um, you know, not kind of protecting her lead. And I you know, she, she played great in the final. I don't think that Reese played very well because um, her serve was just, she just wasn't getting first serves in. And that's so important to her game because she does like to move forward. She does like to, you know, finish at the net. And I don't think that um, with, with her low uh, first serve percentage, she, she was always going to be kind of vulnerable to Alexis's style, which is she's very quick and very, fast and we'll we'll get to a lot of things and and you know she can hit winners as well but she's not going to you know she, she's not going to be one that's going to be coming to the net and in challenging Reese in that area so um I she just she obviously played better and and she is a very deserving Easter Bowl champion yeah and you know it's funny with Belinda Bencich winning Charleston whenever I think Belinda Bencich I mean that's like I'm reading every zoo tennis blog post in her golden era. That's what 2011, like 10, 11 range and where she was number one junior in the world and ascending the rankings. And just, it was, you know, she was, I would say one of the best junior players of that generation, certainly one of the definitive names there. And I think of that era, I think of in particular what Dominic team did in Eddie Hur in the Orange Bowl at the end yeah. of what was that, 2010, 2011, whenever that may have been. And I think he played Ofner back to back in those finals, which is, right. again, we're going old school here. Point being, I remember you writing about how difficult that two week run is, is to do, you know, to win one of the events, obviously extraordinary to do it back to back. That's kind of when you knew, OK, Dominic team's done with the juniors. He's ready to move on to the next stage. You look at someone like Blakina, who, as you mentioned, semifinalist in San Diego the week before where, you know, I, I thought she played. You look at the results, certainly for her uh, knocked out in uh, three sets in that semifinal. I don't think anyone would say that's a bad result. She then makes the final the next week. I mean, that said, you, you talk about uh, Liv Hovde, who, you know, I don't want to say cruises to the title, but did she drop a set on her way to the title in San no, Diego? I, yeah, I don't believe she did. Of the three, Brant Meyer, who doesn't lose five games in a set on the way to the final, Hovde, who doesn't lose a set in San Diego, and Blokina, who's the most consistent, the 17-year-old lefty uh, semifinals, finals at the two events, I test wise, 
which of the three are most college ready? Which of the three are most pro ready? Mm. I I guess uh, Liv is the most pro ready. I would say I would say right now um, she's also substantially younger. So um, that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. She hasn't played a lot of, um, of pro events, but she did make the quarters at that Arcadia. She beat um, uh, now I'm blanking on the girl from Great Britain. Katie Bolter, was it? I think so. Yes. No, it was Harriet Dart. Harriet Dart. Yeah. In that. And Harriet Dart then went on to the round of 16 at the, at the BNP. So that was a good win for Liv. We just haven't seen whether she can do that week in, week out. And, um, you know, she's she was a semifinalist at Australia. You know, she she's she is that good. And so I think more than anything, um I, you know, what I was impressed by the most in San Diego to go back to that was um, the girl from Japan who beat Blokina in the semis and and gave Liv her toughest match. Uh, My Mayu Crosley, who trains at Everett, mm-hmm. she was very impressive. She was, um, I would say to me, she was the revelation of the two weeks on the women's side. Uh, she was incredible, I thought. So I do think that. Um, you know, to get back to your question, you know, I think Liv has has some huge upside, but I, I do think she's she's got to play more um, pro events before we can really see if, if that kind of grind is something that she's interested in doing and, you know, wants to do. But but she's she's a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to, again, some of uh, some of the other players, some of the other takeaways. I get to ask a sequence of stupid questions, though, now. Does Linda Fruvertova win this event if she plays it? Mm. Ooh. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Does Cause, Brenda? Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> it's like, how close in level are all of these players? So here's a fun game of here who would have been eligible to play this event. Coco Golf, still 18 years old. Right. I think she would have won it. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say I would have taken yeah. her to win the Easter Bowl. But you, you never know. Brant Meyer makes a few more first serves. The power tennis she plays <laughs> knows what happens in that match. Katrina Scott, does she win this event? Boy, she's been MIA lately. I know. I would have loved to see her play this. Yeah, yeah. Just get some matches under her belt. Ditto with, like, Robin Montgomery, who's played a little bit more. But I would have liked to see Robin in this, too, because, like, they're all still eligible. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're just not going to do it. I mean, I I don't think they are. What about Alexandriela? Why was she not there? Because she's still 16. Like, I thought we were definitely going to see her. Uh, no, it's just it, – it's one tournament. She's sure. based – I think she's still in Spain and at okay. Nadal's Academy. She's playing 25Ks now in Thailand. You, she can't play the Easter Bowl. So it's just uh, – you know, it's a lot of travel for nothing, really. Yeah. Ashlyn Kruger? Hmm. She's struggling a little bit. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah, that's she did do all well the players who are struggling. That's where I would just go play some matches, like go get some really good matches. And this is where, well, I don't want to lose in the UTRs and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Come on. I want to see the clip. If I, if you're not on the zoo tennis YouTube page, I don't know what your development looks like right now. So like, <laughs> right. Come on, do Yeah. Do it for all of us. Uh, again, as you look at these draws and, you know, I guess we can talk about Brant Meyer who has committed. She's going to UNC. Okay. Right. I haven't posited this theory elsewhere. I may have texted it to you, but let's have this conversation publicly. I think it's known at this point. If it's not, I'm sorry, but Abby Forbes is going to UNC next year. We saw her honored at Senior Day on at UCLA. That's because she's headed to UNC. Uh, Reese Brantmeyer's coming into UNC as well. After how good Coach Calvis's teams have been over the past six years, is next year's Carolina team actually the best Carolina team he's had? Because I can make a legitimate case, Colette, that the answer is yes with Brantmeyer and Abby coming in. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I did not know that about Forbes. So okay. Well, then I hadn't texted you that. Whoopsie. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in, Westoff. But yeah, I, um, boy, you'd have to make a case for that, I think, for sure. I mean, Crawley's going to play four again. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> right. I'm like, come on. Um, they're like, actually, you're back down to six, if that's okay. Um, yeah. That, so because Reese, when I've – I mean, the power is there, and that's why I think college is going to be so good for her. It's just to find the consistency and find the physicality needed because I think she has the weapons. Yeah, she she's really an, an excellent player, fun to watch, you know, really interesting game style. I will, I will tease this. Maybe we uh, – I'll keep this a little bit – brief because I am going to be doing a, I, I spoke with her at length at Easter Bowl and I'll be doing We're getting a the profile. Yeah. Yeah. You're yes. getting a, a tennis recruiting network um, commitment profile will be coming up this month yet. So stay tuned for that. Okay. I like to hear that. That's good. All right. Well, as we look out again on the women's side and I want to blend in some of the San Diego coverage, I suppose as well. Uh, and then we'll switch over to the boys. Uh, you look again in terms of your uh, finalists, semifinalists at the Easter bowl. Again, it was a victory for Blokina three sets uh, in the final. The last player I have to ask you about Iva uh, Jovic who the 14-year-old yeah. makes the semifinals. Now, Bagel in the third set there, but 14-year-old uh, – or won the 14s, excuse me, last year. I don't know if she's 14 right. or 15 now, but she's into 14. the semifinals, again, between her, Havdi. This is where you find out, like, who are the 14, 15-year-olds who are already competing for these titles at the 18s event? Is she one of those players who over the next 18 months, 24 months, we need to be keeping our eyes on? Absolutely. And I will also add a 13-year-old, Shannon Lamb, okay. who made the quarterfinals after winning the 12s last year. <laughs> that is just bizarre beyond belief. So was she born in 2010 or nine? I was bar mitzvahed. I was a man. That's <laughs> that's devastating. Yeah, she'll be um, 14 this year. But um, wow, she um, again, they're both <clears throat> incredible. She lost to Brant Meyer for love. And I would say uh, Jovich is a little bit ahead of of Lamb. I mean, she beat her in the final of the, of the 14th Junior Orange Bowl. So you have to head to head. You have to give it. But Shannon has made huge strides in the last three months, which is extremely impressive. Um, Eva is just, you know, incredibly tough and just really I, I don't know. She just digs in. I, I've heard Peter Smith, the former USC head coach who coaches her, say that she's one of the, the most tenacious players he's ever coached. And that's saying something because he's had a lot of, of great players who have been tough. So I, I do think she's definitely one to watch going forward. And yeah, she's, um, you know, I think she's maybe cracked the top 200 with that with that performance in the ITF ranking. So she's not going to get anything into anything um, this year, except maybe the U.S. Open, but um, as a wild card or maybe whatever. But she's one who does not leave California very often. So that's another thing to consider. And I think we, we're going to have a few of those. Uh, when we talk about the boys, that that there's definitely a SoCal where you don't have to travel, so you don't. And you can play <laughs> those UTRs at Newport Beach every other week or every week. And you can, um, you know, play your sectionals in the 18s and you can get all the competition you need without leaving Southern California. So um, I, I, that that may keep her profile a little bit more local than it should, that it probably should be. But yeah, she's definitely one to watch. All right, let's go. I lied. I have two more names for you. Let's go dynasties first. Cause you know, I like a good dynasty. Ava Krug, who I believe is a member of the Krug family, Connor and Jake now both at Duke, if memory serves mm -hmm. me correct. Uh, quarterfinals of both. She's a sophomore, I think number 11 in her recruiting class, class of 2024, uh, how is her obviously quarterfinals of both is nothing to sneeze at. 
Yeah, um, she, she really stepped up. She plays a ton and she is not one that's going to stay in Florida or stay, you know, any place. She, tra- she travels the world. And um, those were two really good results for her. She's working with Kelly Jones now. Okay. And uh, he's Pepperdine's he- finest. Yes, he's been traveling with her. And I, I think you're, you're starting to see the, the results from from that partnership. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, huge week for her again to go quarterfinals back to back events. It's just it's va- it's validating uh, to have that sort of success. The other one, number one recruit in the class of 2023, also quarterfinals at both. I'm going to butcher the per- pronunciation, I'm sure, but Kavia Lopez, who ultimately, uh, I believe Lopez goes quarterfinal of both matches. Did you get to see any of her? Yeah, I, I see Kavi a lot. It, it's Kavi. Okay, perfect. Like with a K. Yeah, you can hear um, my Michigan come out every so often. <laughs> um, because she she's also a fantastic doubles player and mm-hmm. and his is oh you know she won back to back Easter Bowl doubles titles. That's not easy to do. Which is why and, the college ties number one recruit in her class, but I'm sure all the offers are there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they are. And she's working with um, former Kentucky star Tom Jombie, who has been her coach now for, I don't know, maybe a year. And and they've had a lot of success. She's also one that travels a lot, plays a lot internationally. But she she's got a really fine game. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, again. It was a fun week, and it's always fun whenever the players rip off the two weeks of success. You just know, hey, with San Diego obviously coming up this summer and uh, all the junior slams coming up as well, these are the players to watch. The Americans keep your eyes on because certainly they've all positioned themselves to have those sorts of big summers. With that said, any final girls thoughts? Are you ready to move on to the guys? No, I, I think that's it. Yeah, the, the girls looked really strong. And I, I do think we probably should mention Katie Codd, who's a Duke. Sure. Um, she made the semis and uh, she's from the San Diego area. She did not play the Easter Bowl because she's in regular school. And for some crazy <laughs> reason, their their great spring break was the, last week. So she, you know, if usually Connie Ma would would play one of those two because her spring break was one of those two weeks that <laughs> Katie Cod did play in San Diego because I guess she could commute mm-hmm. and um, she made the semis and you know she's she's going to help Duke a lot she's an excellent player that just one that's when she's going to a regular school it's just it's going to be hard for her to to you know go up the charts like sure. some others. Yeah, no, I love the moment you mentioned not traveling out of Southern California. I was going to say, we just call that a Connie Ma here on this show. Right, exactly. Yeah, she was the trailblazer for doing that, and I think she's doing just fine at Stanford. Um, With that said, all right, let's move over to the guys' side. And, you know, certainly there were plenty of storylines to follow. You have Ethan Quinn, who's been over in Athens, uh, redshirting this season, but he comes back to play both of these events. You have Nishesh Basvareti. Maybe the oldest 16-year-old. I've. It just feels like he's been like 13 to 16 for 10 years because uh, he's just been a part of our lives, was obviously extraordinarily successful before a couple of injuries have kept him out for the past year. Now he goes down to South America, has all of this clay court success, and yet in the end, the guy who captures the Easter Bowl title is Alex Michelson, and shout out to Alex is everywhere. I mean, we're just a successful bunch on the court. He earns a 2-3 and three victory over Nishesh Basavar ready in a match that I will admit I did not get to watch, but reading your description of it, reading his comments after the match, reading Nishesh's comments after the match, it sounds like Michelson just played his best tennis in the final. It's Mickelson, by the oh, way. Mickelson, like, excuse me. Yeah. Sure, okay. Um, you and the chair empire got that wrong the entire match. Well, I, I coordinated with him, our statement. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I, uh, you don't expect somebody to play that well in the final. And I certainly, if I hadn't seen Ethan Quinn do that in San Diego last year, I may have been doubtful, you know, that it would happen. And maybe lightning strike striking twice was not as surprising to me as it should have been. <laughs> but yeah, when you can play that well in the biggest, most important match that you played all year, 
maybe the Australian Open doubles final, which he was in. I don't know. That might have been big, too. But he played just unbelievable. I mean, he played great. And you can't say anything more about it. You've seen I I'd seen him make great volleys. He's an excellent doubles player. He won the doubles, the first guy since Donald Young to do both. Um, at the and Easter how Bowl. great was his response? Donald Young, that's some pretty good company. And I was <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, yeah, but sorry, go ahead. And, you know, he, he played with great touch. He moved well. Uh, Nishesh, as he said, I had to play great. Nishesh was just playing unbelievable lately. And that's true. And um, he he just played better. I mean, he Nishesh didn't play his best, but I, you know, it, it got you thinking that, OK, if both of them play their best, what happens? You know, I don't know. I think Alex's best was. Certainly very, very impressive. And again, I'd seen glimpses of that since since last year at San Diego was the first time I really saw him play beat Aiden Mayo and, um, you know, in a good win played well. And then I've seen him around and he's had good matches, uh, good wins. Um, he beat Coleman Wong and Eddie Hur on clay. So, um, you know, he it wasn't like he was a huge surprise or anything so but yeah to do he he got a bad draw in san diego playing kyle kang and then um he just you know played unbelievable throughout easter bowl so there's nothing more you can say he's got a great game he can volley he can serve he's got a really good backhand uh, good forehand. I mean, he's he moves well. He's six four. He moves well. I mean, he's George has got a couple of good ones <laughs> coming. <laughs> yeah, and so that's uh, so what I'm saying. He's committed to Georgia, and that's the crazy thing is, and you know, I'll color in some commentary here. It does feel like Georgia's a player short, and uh, someone on a text exchange that's on this podcast may have texted another person on this exchange, uh, something who's on this podcast that he was wondering why would someone redshirt Ethan Quinn when you really need a guy at number six and it feels like Ethan could be that player said other person said, are you really going to doubt the wisdom of Manny Diaz? And that person was probably correct in their assessment. Um, that said, why redshirt him? Because you have him next year for four years. You bring in a Mickelson of the world. And yeah, to your point, Jamie Hunt and Manny have hit on a couple of recruits, it feels like, uh, who are coming in here. And it feels like the cupboard is going to be pretty full for Georgia moving forward. Um, You know, again, I highly encourage everyone to go read your recap of these finals on tennisrecruiting.net. And I believe the 16s, I believe all the Easter Bowl ones are free, right? Because I clicked on the San Diego and I had the account, but I had to log into my account. I think, I I believe the first, you know, again, no paywall. Uh, I think it's usually for um, 10 days or something like that. So, yeah, you you can read the Easter Bowl one now. So Yeah, strike while it's hot uh, is what that's telling me. Yeah, no, that's good to know. But on the flip side, I want to talk about Nishesh, who did not drop a set on his way to the final and whom I got to see summer of 2020. So he would have been 14 years old, 15 years old around then. He played Milan Hurian, who plays number three singles uh, for Kentucky, number two and three singles, and is now a fifth year senior there, but is, you know, at least six years older than Nishesh, and physically you could see the difference. That said, Nishesh races out to a three-love lead, and I was on court for the match, and I apologize, million, and I didn't I didn't code him. I probably should have, uh, but he looks at me and goes, this kid's Novak Djokovic, and like just <laughs> respectfully, why I didn't code him is because I was like, you're kind of right. Like with how he's playing right now, I get why that would be your reaction. Nishesh strikes the ball so beautifully and has such a a mature game and his ability to move the ball and his feel for, okay, now it's time for me to go line. Now it's time for me to go cross. And, you know, he's growing into his body, certainly, and he's gotten a little bit taller, but he's a gangly kid. That said, he just reads the game so well. Absolutely. This is something from watching a lot of college tennis, and I think something perhaps you'll agree with this assessment. You can just tell the people who – 
get the speed of the game. It's not about the physicality or necessarily everything they're doing. They just understand, I I can play, I know what you're trying to do, and I'm just going to do it better than you. Like, I'm just going to impose myself upon you because you can't hurt me, and I have mastered this level of the game. That feels like what we're seeing from Nishesh at the junior level over these past, you know, month, month and a half of play, a month of results, is that he's just kind of physically now he's healthy and he's reminding everyone, no, 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 I'm just better at this tennis stuff than you are. Yeah, and and I do think that gets lost a little bit. Um, people mature at, at different times, but when he was 14, he he was arguably the best 14-year-old in the world at the time. I mean, he won the Junior Orange Bowl. The United States won that World Team Cup with him not losing at all. He's He was the best then. There is nothing in his preparation, his growth, his mind that is that hasn't you know gotten better so he's just you know there's no I guess we should not be surprised what he did in Brazil though somebody coming off a year's worth of injury you still have to hand it to him for for winning a tournament from qualies and then winning the next week at a grade A on clay, he tells me he likes clay a lot. So I, I guess maybe I wouldn't have expected that growing well, up you know, in Indiana. He does have geriatric knees. And so it's yeah, good for all of us. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it gives him um, more time to construct his points, to figure out what the other guy can't do, uh, won't do, uh, doesn't like to do. And I, I think he uses all that stuff, um, you know, throughout. And there are times when he's just better. And then there's times when he has to figure out how he's going to be better and he can do both of those things. So, so yeah, the final notwithstanding, he, he played very, very well throughout um, the tournament. And I, you know, it was great to see him who I hadn't seen him in, in quite some time play. So, um, there, once I saw him, like the first two or three matches he played at Easter ball, I, it, it wasn't hard for me to see how he, you know, could beat, um, who he beat in, in Brazil. So I, you know, it's, it's just a question of, of, him staying healthy. Uh, he's he's starting school this fall at Stanford, so uh, he, he's way ahead academically. Started school a year early, so um, yeah, he's been very very impressive, and he's it's going to be really fun to see him in college. His backhand is ridiculous. It's just it rid- it's <laughs> ridiculous. You're just like I mean, he hits it on the slide two at times. You're just like this is a joke now. You know, this is a theory. You know what? Again, there's no better person to run this by. There is a thought among serious college tennis circles that the schoolwork and the curriculum load at Stanford kills the players. Now, I think that's a fallacy. Go look at the women's titles and just how many they've racked up in a row. So you can't tell me there's not a pathway to success academically and athletically uh, while playing at Stanford. That said, I mean... if you look at the men's side in particular, I do think it is a little bit more pronounced where it's just like you see some of these players do get worn down by the academics of it all. And it's just like it's really hard to peak in May when you're thinking I got finals at Stanford right. coming up. Like right. I do think there is some truth to that thought. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I Yeah. I, I think it is difficult. And I think also Stanford offers a, a lot of options to players um, that maybe have concentrated too, not too much, but exclusively exclusively on tennis coming there. And then they see the rest of the world that's out there, which is pretty attractive at Stanford. (laughs) So I, I just think the only counter I have that, and of course I have no idea how, how he'll do it. It's, it's all just a guess, but he wants to be a pro tennis player. I don't think there's any question about that. And as long as you, if that's the case, then I don't think that Stanford should be any impediment to him. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I would also say it makes Ryan Thatcher that much more impressive. Ryan Thatcher, you know, all American at Stanford Devils players. Then I believe either Harvard or Stanford Med. And you're just like, 
oh, so you really are the most impressive human in the world. Like, and he beats <laughs> Damajan in the NCAA quarterfinals to hand him his one loss. At freshman year, Alex Damajan, I've talked about this with Tony Bresky too frequently. He's like, yeah, when he came to college, Brian and I laughed because we were like, really? You're coming? They're like, no way. They're like, okay, cool. We'll take you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be fascinating because, I mean, Nishesh is just ready. Again, I it to your point, point construction, he's just better – at winning tennis points than you are. And right. that was, it's what makes Mickelson's performance in the final uh, that much more impressive. Now, you know, you look across the board, I believe for Mickelson it was a first-round loss for him in San Diego. He was knocked out by the aforementioned Kyle Kang, who always dangerous. And right. uh, is Kang committed yet, or is he still uncommitted? No, I, and in fact, I neglected to ask him where he was going with that, which I should have done and mm, didn't. Ignorance but. is bliss. I just, yeah, you don't, you don't want that sort of heat on you, Colette. Um, yeah, I mean, Kyle Kang, who what, went on to make, I want to say semifinals in San Diego, if not quarterfinals. Yeah, he made semifinals of that. Oh, he made, uh, oh, no, he made finals. Excuse he me. He made finals. the finals. Yeah, where he was knocked out. So to lose first round to the finalist, we're going to go ahead and say not a bad loss. Um, right. That said, I'm curious, again, you look across the board, uh, Kang was pretty uh, impressive, obviously, uh, another guy who has a pretty good run, I thought, over the course of the two weeks, two other guys, Nico Godzik, who, uh, you know, certainly we got to see at the Challenger in Cleveland, make a little pro action debut, and then, you know, Jonah Braswell, younger brother of Texas's Micah Braswell, uh, he has a pretty good run of success as well, and I, I believe he beat Ethan Quinn. I want to say in one of the. No, teams he lost, but oh, it was lost, really, really right. heck of a match. He yeah. beat someone. He beat someone. I, I'll look in the draws here as I ask my question to you, which is: Talk to me about the depth in this field. How's this group looking? Well, you didn't mention the winner, San Diego Lerner Tian, who also made the quarters and lost to Mickelson in in. Um, and, and Lerner is amazing. And if anybody gets a chance to see him and doesn't think he's amazing, well, they don't have eyes. <laughs> they, I mean, he he's young, too. Um, he turned 16 in December. So even though he's in his second to the last year in juniors, um, he's going to be able to play Kalamazoo three more years. Um so he's a left-hander. He has great um, pace and timing, and his serve needs to get better, be more of a weapon, but he's an, just so talented. And I'm not telling you anything that every college coach doesn't <laughs> know and doesn't care about because they they were just at San Diego. They were everywhere. Um and, and I do have to shout out to tier one where, speaking of Diaz's, um, Eric, um, Manny's son is, you know, one of the coaches there. And Lerner and Alex um, Mickelson are, are both there as is the 16th champion at the Easter Bowl. So, um, wow, they have some pretty good daily aspiring partners for yeah. each other. So um, I, I that again, they're all SoCal guys, and that's all going to be you know something that that may not show up later. But it is very interesting, and you know I think Lerner is just you know is just a great talent that um, that is going to be you know somebody on the junior map for the next couple of years, for sure. No, and right now I'm looking at his tennis uh, recruiting profile. No schools listed. He's number three recruit in his class. And, you know, again, I'm looking at the Kyle Kang list, Columbia, Harvard, Penn, USC, Stanford, UCLA, Princeton. I'll tell you this. Right now, I would put USC in the leader seat simply because what's the connective thread between USC and Columbia? It's Rich Bonfiglio, who has gone mm -hmm. from Columbia to USC. He can recruit them. I'm sure he knows the message Kyle's looking for, given that recruiting list. You could find academic success at USC. So that would be, I, I think that's an interesting pairing, one to look at. And I feel like given all these kids are Southern California kids, and this would be the college tennis tie-in here, USC can't afford to let all these kids go. Like you've already, you know, Quinn is gone. Mickelson is gone. All these kids are headed off to Georgia. Some of them headed to Ohio State, whatever it may be. If you're Coach Macy 
and I do think this is why Rich was part of that target uh, for who we got as his assistant. You got to lock these. Like, there's a lot of ta- it. Southern California is talent rich right now. And honestly, I would say this about UCLA too. You can't miss on these two classes. Like this is your program for the next couple of years. Yeah. And even though um, another kind of miss for, for the two California schools is Sebastian Gorsney, who sure. is going to TCU. And, and he grew up in SoCal, even though he's at Everett now. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do think that it's important. I mean, oftentimes they get kind of the Mickelsons who are a little bit under the radar. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, OK. You know, the Michael McLuhan kind of guy who just shows up at Kalamazoo one year and, you know, makes the quarterfinals or whatever it is bef- the year before he wins it. Yeah. And it's just um yeah. And I, you know, that I don't see that happening, but um, it still can, I guess. I, I have no idea what Lerner's doing. And as I said, he's young, but I think he is also a head in school or maybe looking to go the in January of, of 2023. So, um, you know, yeah, they got it. You're right. They, they need to keep some of these guys in or discover other ones that we don't know about, which maybe they are. <laughs> Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. A huge thank you, as always, to Colette for taking the time to chat. I sincerely mean this. I would not be doing what I do today had I not grown up reading everything she wrote on her Zoo Tennis blog. And of course, you can find that via her Twitter. You can also find it on tennisrecruiting.net's homepage. It's right in the center of the page. Once you start reading, you won't want to stop. Thank you to Colette for all that she does. Hopefully, sincerely, you will be a more informed tennis fan if you read her work. Uh, I, I know I'm not the only one who grew up on her writing. And so again, a huge thank you to Colette. It's always a dream come true to, for me to get the chance to chat with her. But as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, some of you who are wondering you're not going to cover Monte Carlo. There's a Masters 1000 event going on and you're going to skip it. No, we are not going to skip it. We're going to be covering it too, too many break Wednesday here on this podcast feed. Of course, for all the action happening in the college world, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. We recorded another Deciding Point episode yesterday, joined by John Parsons to break down all the Division One women's action. Chris Hallioris joined me for an SEC-specific show. We'll have our men's show live 7 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel myself, Chris Hallioris, uh, and Matt Stachowiak. And yeah, we're rocking and rolling, folks. So much action happening across levels here in the tennis world. We know it's our job to cover it all so that you can be informed. We will continue to do so. You can follow all that content on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our content. A shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for the GOAT, Colette Lewis, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Oh, excuse me. We will talk to you all later today. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.